We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark this morning. And we remember uh, just last week, uh, Jesus was telling the disciples that the Son of Man uh, was going to have to suffer and that this was part of God's plan for the Messiah. And the disciples are on this spiritual journey with Christ. In a sense, they are following him towards the cross. And they're journeying with him. It's a physical journey, but it's also a spiritual journey. And I was listening to another pastor uh, preach over this last week. And he was mentioning a pastor in the UK. Some of you guys might know uh, Pete Gregg. He had started uh, this 24-7 prayer movement. And uh, Pete Gregg was talking about this cycle of spiritual maturity. Now, I find that this part especially helpful. Um, in we can view our spiritual journey as an upward spiral. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times over and over again, I find myself coming back to the same thing. Like, why am I wrestling with this again? Like, God, I thought back there, we like worked through this, right? Like, I had kind of grew out of this. But if you view it as a, as a spiral, you'll notice we keep coming back to the same stuff, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And so we can kind of view it as an upward spiral. The truth is, when you come around to that thing again, you're in a different spot. The truth is, you did grow. <laughs> Maybe you're back at it, but God has just worked on you a little bit. You're a little bit more like Christ than the last time you were up against that. So we got this idea of, of uh, spiritual maturity as kind of this upward spiral. Um, and a lot of folks will talk about that. But what I had never heard about, and I, I found this helpful, is uh, Pete Gregg was talking about kind of the, these three stages in the cycle. And the first one is C. And here we see the wonders of, of God. Jesus tells the disciples, come and follow me. Can you imagine what that invitation must have been like from Jesus when he says, hey, drop your nets and come and follow me? How that must have been so powerful for them to experience firsthand the teaching of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, his powerful ministry. Some of us have experienced this, right? Maybe you gave your life to Christ and just had this, uh, this outpouring of God's grace and the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're like, wow, this is wonderful. Maybe you experienced healing or you received some kind of breakthrough, right? We see the wonders of God. So C is the first category. But then the next category is this. It's sacrifice. Sometimes when Jesus says, throw down your nets and come follow me, well, that invitation, it can kind of hurt, right? Like we're actually leaving something behind. And it's not just about seeing the wonders. It's also about the cross, following Christ crossword, living this crucified life that involves sacrifice. And then beyond the sacrifice, we have what, what he calls uh, celebration. You see, once we push through the sacrifice, we'll see God's blessing. We'll see God show up in powerful ways that we had never seen before. On the other side of crucifixion is indeed resurrection, right? And so we have this, this kind of chance to look back on all that God has done. And I find this paradigm to be helpful. Um, you can try to imagine kind of what stage you are in right now. Where would you be on this? Would you be in the sea phase? Would you be in the sacrifice or maybe in the celebrate? A lot of times, I think we tend to overemphasize one or the other. Some of us really like the initial sea phase, right? Like we like the signs and wonders, and we like it when God's just showing up, and we like, you know, maybe great praise music that makes us feel good. And so we'll kind of lean into that. God's going to show up. God's going to be happy. He's going to do great things. We lean into that all the time, and we're a little bit reluctant to move into the next phase, right? When maybe God's calling us different into a time of sacrifice, into a time of maybe giving something up for a deeper experience 
of God. And then some of us get really caught up in the sacrifice phase, you know? I think about medieval monks wearing these hair shirts, right? <laughs> like beating themselves constantly every day, right? And some of us kind of live in this area of like sacrifice and following Jesus is hard. And every time someone talks to you about Jesus, you're always just talking about how hard it is. And we can kind of live too long in that phase as well. And then, of course, there's the, the, there's the celebratory phase which is just great to look back on all what God has done and just kind of receive that blessing. But some of us will spend too much of our spiritual life looking back, right? And it's time, and I know I, I can find myself in this place, just looking back at all the great things God's done, maybe holding on to something that God had done in the past. But instead, we need to go back to the first phase, which is C, right? We need a fresh revelation. We need a fresh experience of what God is wanting to do in our lives today. Well, it seems to me that the disciples in our passage this morning are stuck in the first phase. They really like the C phase, and they're seeing some amazing things. But Jesus is beginning to talk to them and beginning to call them into the next phase. And so he's explaining to them in the words of the gospel, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after that he will rise on the third day. You see, here Jesus is naming there's going to be a sacrifice phase and there's also going to be a celebration phase, a resurrection phase. But the disciples are only wanting to see the sea. They're having a hard time imagining what the sacrifice and the celebration might look like. And this morning, friends, I want to let you know that spiritual growth, so becoming more like Christ, it requires an imagination that is reshaped by the death and resurrection of our Lord. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in almost all of his letters. He's wanting these different churches to rethink how they're living and to reimagine themselves in the light of the death and resurrection of our Lord. If the Messiah was truly crucified for our sins and rose from the dead, then we would have to rethink everything from a brand new perspective. Now, we could put this negatively and say it like this. What would it look like to live in the world if we were trying to follow Christ but did not understand the cross and resurrection? What would that look like? Well, it could look like this. Journeying down the road with Jesus and as we go, all the time arguing over who is the greatest right? Arguing why you're the best, why more people should be like you and act like you and vote like you, how the world would be a better place if just more people thought like you, and how the church would be, how great it would be if more of the folks in charge would start listening to you. This is the kind of conversation that is happening on the road, and so Jesus has to teach them what it might look like to live in the world in light of the reality of the cross and resurrection. It turns out if the cross and resurrection are real, then we have to take on the identity of servants and welcome small children. Following the crucified and risen Lord is defined by servant living and welcoming children. And so Jesus turns to them and says, look, 
Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he takes a small child and he puts them in the middle of them. And then he picks up that child. And he says, whoever welcomes a little one in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. He tells them, basically, when you welcome a child, it's as if you're welcoming the God who created the universe. Now, friends, I want you to notice that this is not just some one-off statement in the gospel. That actually we're going to get to, the preacher's going to preach in the next few weeks, and when we get to Mark 10, he's going to talk about these same things again. He's going to come back to children and their place in the kingdom and how important they are. He's going to come back to this idea of being servants of all. And we're going to come back to the disciples again, arguing over who's the greatest. And so what the text wants you to realize is this is an ongoing conversation that's coming up over and over again. And over and over again, Jesus is trying to teach them about kingdom living, what it means to live in light of the crucifixion and resurrection of their Lord. And over and over again, we see these same answers popping up. It has to do with living in the world as servants. It has to do with welcoming children. Friends, the church at its very best is a group of people whose lives have been completely transformed by the gospel. People who know that they're sinners saved by grace. People who know they've been saved by Christ's sacrificial, servant-hearted love. And therefore, they become the servants of all people who welcome children as if they're welcoming God himself. The church at its best is a servant and it sees children, and it has time for children. The church, at its worst, at its worst is self-serving. When we're at our worst, we are self-serving, and we are inhospitable to children. And friends, we're in a moment, right? This is Trinity Northside, and we're asking ourselves, what kind of church do we want to be, right? We're still a new, fresh church plant. And we're just going through COVID, so we're coming out of that, or we're trying to come out of that. And we have new leadership. And so it's a good time for us to be asking, what are our values? What kind of church do we want to be? Who do we want to be for the sake of our city? It's a great time to reassess. How do we want to invest our resources that have been entrusted to us? Where do we want to invest our time and our effort? And the gospel imagination at least for today, seems to give us some pretty good clues. What if we serve our city? What if we welcome children in the name of Christ? Now, it would be great just to divide up this room and get to hear from each and every one of you your faith story. And I bet our journeys to faith are, are, are very different. But I would guess that a lot of you, in some ways, have similar stories to mine. I was actually raised in church, um, preacher's kid, uh, but didn't, wasn't very interested in the things of God as a kid. I might have said I believed in Jesus or believed in God, but I wasn't at all interested. I was super interested in being cool, and I did not think that Jesus or church or any of that could be cool in any sense. I guess I'm still trying to be cool, you know, but um, one could try. But when I was a young teenager, 
uh, we switched to a new church. My dad took a new job at a new church, and it was there for the first time in my life that I found a group of teenagers that really loved Jesus. And they were pursuing him with a passion. And you could see it in the way that they talked, in the way that they lived their life, that they took their faith seriously. And so for the first time in my life, I would say I was in a situation that was, it was a hospitable atmosphere for me. It was a hospitable community. I had peers who sincerely loved Jesus. Uh, I was in a place where the gospel was being preached on my level. There were relevant messages that I could hear. And then there were hospitable adults who took interest in me. I can remember there were a few guys in their 20s that were super cool and, and, and volunteering with youth, and one guy named Jason Fontenelle. He was just the coolest, most eligible bachelor you'll ever meet. He had his own house. He owned a, a Yamaha Banshee four-wheeler, and if anyone has ever ridden on one of those, you know just how fast they are and just how much a 13-year-old should never be riding one of those at all through some woods. And so we're going mudding, and we're going out on his boat, and he's teaching me how to cook. And then there's another guy named Chad who's also super cool, and he's showing me his truck, and he's helping me hook up, uh, build a speaker box so we can put subwoofers in the back of my mom's uh, Econoline Ford van, you know, because they're good for that, those custom vans. And another guy named Lance picking me up in his Camaro, and we're listening to old Petra songs. I don't know if you guys know Petra, but praise the Lord. Uh, Talking to me about faith and what it means to live out your faith as a teenager. And talking about how can we make this church more hospitable for kids, kids like me. These adults were hospitable. They somehow made time for me. And what I can tell you, friends, is that I'm here today because there was some church that decided to make kids a priority. They somehow understood that it was central to gospel. Somehow understood it's central to following Jesus is making space for young people into the church. It's not some kind of option. Like Jesus keeps coming back to it. He's not trying to say, now for those of you that are interested in children's ministry, I want to tell you something. Hey, the kingdom is about kids. He just says it to everybody. If you're going to follow me, you've got to understand that welcoming kids is a part of it. It's a part of the agenda. It's what we're doing. And so as we go now into a moment of reflection, I just want to ask you, what is the invitation for you this morning? What is the invitation from Jesus for you? As we think about those categories that we mentioned earlier in spiritual maturity, this kind of cycle of see and sacrifice and celebrate, maybe the Lord is calling you to see. Maybe you've never seen him. Maybe you've never seen just the glory of the cross and his resurrection, and he's just inviting you to see him. Maybe he's inviting you to a fresh Pentecost, and you need to seek a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or maybe the invitation is to sacrifice. Maybe he's calling you to lay some nets down so that you'll be able to carry a burden that he's wanting to give you. Maybe he's calling you to step from that moment to a moment of celebration where you can just look back and acknowledge, look at this resurrection moment. Look at all that God has done for me. Thank you, Jesus. What's the invitation this morning? Is Christ calling you to serve? And I'm not just talking about serving in one area of the church, like folding bulletins or kids' ministry, and that's definitely a part of it. 
I mean, is he calling you to rethink your entire life in terms of servanthood, whether you're at work or whether with our family or walking in our neighborhood with my dog? Is he calling you to rethink your whole life in terms of being a servant of all? And then finally, what might Christ's invitation be to you in regards to welcoming children? What is the invitation for you? Now, I, I'm just gonna recognize we're not like, we're not all Mary Poppins. We're not all Mr. Rogers, right? Like we're not all cut out to teach a first grade elementary class, right? So totally. But we're all called in some way to be a part of welcoming kids, teenagers, children on behalf of Christ. And I just want you to open your heart. What is the invitation for you? What are we gonna do to become a community that welcomes these the least of these.